You are listening to the Life Church Podcast. To learn more about Life Church, our gathering times at any of our central Indiana locations, or our life crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Micah Beckwith. Christmas. We are second week into our Christmas series, A Gift of Hope, and that this whole season is about taking the gift of hope to a, a hurting world. And so we're so glad that you're joining us today. My name is Pastor Micah, and I'm a Knowlesville campus pastor. We have four campuses, multiple locations here in central Indiana. So if you're online, if you're watching, thanks for joining us. Um, but we, uh, we, we last week talked about what, how to take the good news to your family. Now this week, we're going to dive in. We're going to talk about taking the good news to your town. It's all about spreading the hope of Christmas. Well, first of all, you have to know what the good news is if you're going to take it anywhere. And so we're going to look at that today. We're going to look at the first carriers of the good news to a hurting world on that very first Christmas night. They, they heard, they, they, they went and they saw for themselves, and then they took it to everyone that they met along the way. But this word gospel, we said this last week, just, just a quick recap. This word gospel, if you're in Christian, Christendom, you'll hear this word often. The gospel, spread the gospel, or let's, let's go share the gospel. What, that, that just literally means the good news. What is the good news? It is a great commission story. When Jesus was ascending into heaven, he told his disciples, I'm going, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to empower you to share the good news to as many people as you can. And you're going to share the good news here in this context. You're going to share the good news near to your town, and you're going to share the good news far, far away, as far as you can possibly go, Take the good news everywhere. And that's our heart at Life Church. We want to share the good news of Jesus Christ here, near, and far because we know when people hear the good news, it brings hope. You should have a heart for the broken like God has. You should see people the way God sees them. And when he sees people hurting, hopeless, and in despair, it breaks his heart and he wants to rescue them. He is a fighter. He fights for his people. He wants to bring the hope. But he uses us. He chooses to use us to do that sometimes. And so we need to be ready to share the good news. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 2 uh, today. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Luke chapter 2. It's the Christmas story. But before we dive into the Word of God, let's pray and ask the Lord to reveal his, himself to us today. Heavenly Father, thank you for what you're doing here at Life Church and, and all of the churches around uh, central Indiana and Indiana and, and our nation and the world that are proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ. Would you bless those churches, God? Would you bless us? Would you help us to link arms with many churches from around this area to churches uh, far away from us, God, to, to tell people about the hope of your blessed Son that gives us life abundantly. Lord, as we dive into your word today, reveal to us what you want us to hear. It's in your, your precious, holy name, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. With, uh, uh, last week, one of the things that we did hit on real quick before we get to Luke, I want to just reiterate this, this passage of Scripture here. In Romans 10, chapter, uh, verse 8, we see this. This is what Paul is saying about how we are to carry the good news to the world. He says this, the word is near you, it's in your mouth, okay? The word, the good news, Jesus Christ, the message of Jesus Christ, it's in your mouth and it's in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is your answer. Again, just, I know we hit this last week, but this is you, you are saved. There's nothing that, that the world can throw at you to rip you away from the arms of Christ. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, believe in your heart 
that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So that's, that's the good news that you have received. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, the same Lord of all and rich... He, uh, the same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. Paul, what Paul's doing right here in Romans, he's, he's basically uh, coming against this idea that the Jews had at that time, the, the Christian Jewish uh, people who had the Messianic Jews who received Christ, but they were Jewish in tradition and in, and in culture. They believed that the Messiah was for them. And so you see Paul and Peter actually going to blows multiple times throughout Scripture where Peter's saying, yeah, I don't know if the message is really for the Gentiles. And Paul is saying, no, it's for the Gentiles. And you know what? Paul was right. Now here's two leaders of the, the early church, two awesome godly men, and they're not, they're, they have a disagreement. And Paul has to set Peter right. And the Lord shows up to Peter in a, in a powerful way. He says, hey, Peter, stop being racist. This message, isn't for, this message isn't for just one people group. It's for everybody. It really was. I mean, Peter was being racist. And the Lord had to say, no, I love all people, regardless of their culture and their, their skin color and their, where they were born. This is for all people. And so this is what Paul's doing. He's saying there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. We're all humans. We all bleed red blood, okay? We all are made in the image of God, and all who call on him will be richly blessed. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now here is what Paul is saying. This is what he's ultimately getting at. But he's saying, how can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? So now turn to your neighbor and say, hey, you're a preacher. <laughs> and now say, turn to your neighbor and say, have you ever heard me preach? <laughs> no, that's all right. No, but seriously, we are, God, God is calling all of us to be preachers. Just because I'm up here doesn't mean I'm any less or any more of a preacher than you are. Doesn't mean you're any less or any more of a preacher than I am. We are all called to be preachers carrying the message of the good news to a hurting world. How can anyone hear, though, without the preachers? So preach is what Paul is saying. And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Last week we talked about beautiful feet. Those who bring good news have beautiful feet. Turn to your neighbor and say, you have beautiful feet. Now turn to your neighbor and say, you're weird. <laughs> but really, in all seriousness, when you are given something that you desperately need by a messenger who just brought it, you are incredibly thankful. You, you hug the person. You thank the person. Yeah, I, I think about what happened in Israel a couple uh, last week when all those hostages were being released. You know, the Red Cross was coming to get them and to be the exchange between Hamas and Israel. I can't imagine the joy and the overwhelming feelings of just thankfulness when these hostages saw someone coming to them that had the message of freedom and of aid and help, Right? Can you put yourself in their shoes for a moment? Oh my gosh, they wouldn't probably wanted to just hug them and not let go of them, right? That is the same thing that is happening in the spiritual realm when you bring the gospel to somebody who is desperate in, 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 in despair. They are lost in, in, in addiction, in bondage. They have no hope for the future. They don't know what life is all about. And then you come with the message of the good news and it sets them free. That is the same thing that you get to bring. How beautiful are your feet when you bring that? 
That's what Paul is hitting on, just like those who first carried the good news. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at the very first carriers of the good news, the very first ones who had those beautiful feet that, that we, we see here in Romans. Luke chapter 2, verse 8, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were terrified. It was the shepherds. God chose to give the good news to these shepherds. Now, if you were in that culture, shepherds were pretty unassuming people. They were kind of the roughnecks of the, of the culture. They were sort of the ones that people would look at and say, nah, I don't know if... Uh, you know, I would trust you with something as important as the good news for the whole world for all of eternity. Like, I, I don't know about that. Like, but God chose those who probably the world would say, I'm not gonna, I don't think God could use you. God said, I'm going to use you. If you ever find yourself quick to judge somebody to say, oh, God couldn't use you, I'm going to tell you right now, don't do that because here's what God's response to you is going to be. And I know this from personal experience. The Lord says, hey, if I can't use them, then guess what, Micah? I can't use you. Ooh, right? Ooh. <laughs> it's, the, it's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. God can use whoever he chooses, and sometimes he chooses to use the most unassuming to take amazing messages to the world, right? And that's what he did with the shepherds on that day. Now, the shepherds, like I said, were nomads. They were roughnecks. They were, uh, are, do we have any truck drivers in the room? Do you have any truck drivers? No. Okay. Oh, we got a truck, truck driver right there. Okay. So truck drivers are kind of the, the, the picture of modern day shepherds. They were taking goods and, and products from one place to another. But sometimes you live on the road. Sometimes you're, you know, you're, you're around probably some rough and tumble guys. They're, you know, good, good people, right? But they're, they're rough around the edges. And that's really what the shepherds would have been. So it would have been like the Lord in our day stepping down into this this world of truck drivers and saying, hey, I've got something really important that you guys need to go and take to the rest of the world. Now, what's the, what's the benefit of going to truck drivers or shepherds? Well, they're used to traveling. They're used to going, right? That's their, that's their job. They, they go places. So the Lord had a purpose for the shepherds, but it was giving this message so that they could ultimately send it to the whole world. But the angel of the Lord said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. And again, the reason you see anytime angels show up in front and, and encounter men, and we, most of the time when it's, you know it's an angel. Now, there have been times where we have entertained angels unaware. Uh, the Bible talks about that. But if it's an angel in its full form, the glory of the Lord a lot of times will just, just cause people to run in terror. When the glory of the Lord sh shows up, People are afraid, and that's why you hear angels oftentimes say, hey, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You know, how many times did Jesus tell us not to, not to be afraid? Fear not. 365 times. You know, one for every day, right? That's, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of a, a little bit of a, of a myth. In Christendom, you'll hear people say, like, Jesus said 365 times in Scripture, don't be afraid. And, uh, and, and, and I think it, but it, it rings true. It's this idea that fear is what cripples us. And fear is what stops us from being all who God wants us to be. So sometimes the Lord has to say, hey, don't be afraid. I bring you great news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. He's the Messiah, the Lord. He is the one that you have been, you have been hearing about for generations up to this. He's here. Now, keep in mind, up until this point, God had been silent for 400 years. You see, at the end of the Old Testament, the world got very dark, and the Lord stopped 
talking. Now, I don't know about you. I can't imagine a time where I, where it would just, it would be the most, it would be the most awful thought I can think of if I knew God wasn't going to talk back to me. If I couldn't go to the Lord, ask him a question and go to my father and say, Father, what do, what do I do about this? Or tell me something today, Lord. Or if I couldn't interact with my father in heaven, that would just be a gut punch. But for 400 years, the Lord was silent and he stepped back. But now this is the first time in 400 years where, bow! now the shepherds get this message, this awesome message about Jesus Christ, the word of God made flesh, stepping down into the battlefield, ready to do war on behalf of those that he loves. In a matter of moments, this truth would forever change the entire world. And it was given to the shepherds to go and and respond to this. Now, when you meet God face to face, it will change everything. It literally changes everything. You cannot not be changed when you meet God face to face. It'll change you one way or the other. And it will demand something from you. And we'll get into that in a second. This will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. So the angels tell the shepherds, hey, I'm going to give you a clue here. This is what you're going to see. Now, keep in mind, this was a little bit of a a deeper clue than we just kind of, we gloss over this. There would have been, there would have been something happening here. So sometimes on this particular shepherd field, Bethlehem was south of Jerusalem and and we would have the priests who would be taking care of the special lambs in this general area as well. And when they had a pure spotless lamb, they were, they were to take that lamb, wrap him in a priestly garment that only the priests have, and lay the lamb in a manger as the sacrificial lamb. And that lamb was protected and then taken to sacrifice before the Lord. That's how the Lord did it. It was a prophetic picture of who Jesus was going to be, just FYI. It was, I'm giving the very best to God. And so when we had the very best lamb, the priests on their shepherd's hills would take these lambs, put them in a priestly garment, and lay that lamb in a manger to protect the lamb for sacrifice. Now, who was the only other earthly people that knew that Joseph and Mary were pregnant at the time uh, with, with baby Jesus? Anybody know? Elizabeth and Zechariah. Now, Zechariah was a priest. What do you think Zechariah would have given Mary as a sign of what to, to wrap the baby in when, when they left, when Mary left Elizabeth's home and Zechariah's home? Would have given her a priestly robe. Now again, this is looking into the context. This is a little bit more conjecture. But I, well, I think this sign that the angels are saying to the shepherds, go look, there will be a sign. You'll find the baby wrapped not just in swaddling clothes. You'll find him wrapped in priestly garments laying in a manger. They would have instantly said, oh, that's what we do with the pure spotless lambs. We wrap them in priestly garments and we put them in a manger. So when they go and they look and they see this baby, they don't just see a baby in clothes laying in a manger. They see a baby wrapped in priestly garments lying in a manger, which says, oh, wow. This is the pure spotless lamb of God, right? So there's a lot more in this that sometimes we just gloss over, but that's what the angel said. So now they say, this is your sign, go find the baby. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God, saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. I love this passage right here. Those on whom his favor rests. 
Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Does the favor of God rest upon you? I hope it does. That should be your prayer every morning. God, let your favor rest upon me and my family. If God's favor is with you, you are going to have an awesome time. You will have life and life abundantly, I promise you. won't always be easy, but it's going to be awesome. If the favor of God rests upon you, if the favor of God is not upon you, ask for it. Ask for it, and he gives generously to those who ask. Sometimes we just don't ask the right, the right, the right asks. we got to ask the right ask. God, Lord, let your favor rest upon me. And he loves pouring his favor out on those who call him Lord. Now, this good news given to the shepherds, now it demands a response from them. They, and it demands a response from all who hear. They are the first that respond but what are you going to do when you hear the good news? It's going to demand a response for, from you too. So we're going to look today at the three ways the shepherds responded. And I hope it encourages us on how to respond this Christmas season. When we're taking the good news to our friends, our family, our coworkers, those in our communities, we have to respond. You have to make a decision one way or the other. What's it going to be? So the shepherds' response, the first one is this. They investigated what was told them. They investigated what was told them. Matthew 7, 7 says this. It says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek or investigate and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. This is what I call the Sherlock Holmes scripture verse, right? Okay, this is like, this is right in Sherlock Holmes wheelhouse, right? Okay, first of all, we got to go, uh, we, we've got to go uh, ask. We got to ask the right questions. We got to seek, we got to investigate, and then we got to go knock on the right doors and see if we can get those doors open. It is okay to ask questions in church. Actually, it's not just okay, it's the one place you should ask all the questions, right? Don't ever hold back questions. Ask whatever you think you need to ask. The Lord is not afraid of your questions. And as a pastor, I'm not afraid of your questions. Now, I don't have all the answers. Now, my wife says I pretty much have all the answers, but you know, that's, oh no, no? What? It's news to me. <laughs> no, but I don't have all the answers. We all know this, especially my wife. We don't, I, but it's okay. If I don't have the answers, guess what I'm going to do? You're going to ask a question. Be like, that's a great question. I don't know. I'm going to go ask, and then I'm going to go investigate, and then I'm going to go knock. I'm going to see what the Lord says about that question. It's okay to ask questions. I, anytime churches don't allow questions, that creates a really bad outcome in the future. People will, you will, you will see that if you don't allow questions to be asked in this community, people are still going to ask the questions, but guess who they're going to go to? They're going to go to the world. They're going to go to the devil's voices. One of the, one of the primary reasons I have seen in the youth ministry, the culture goes so far away from purity in the sex, in, in, in sexuality is because for years, those questions were not allowed to be asked in church. You know what? The kids didn't stop asking the questions. They just went to the devil to get the answers. It is, we have dropped the ball when it comes to answering questions or to allowing questions to be asked. And we can't run away from questions. You have to investigate. Do it in church. That's the one place you should do it. Investigate and you will find the answer. The Lord, he loves revealing the mysteries of God. So the shepherds, they didn't blindly trust these angels. Even though they were <laughs> glorious, terrifying angels, they still went and they looked further they didn't say okay great well we believe it and we're just going to start you know proclaiming it no they went and they they found they found out the truth I, I was looking back through history and I was thinking just like okay like we're in some times where we as a culture or a nation have have learned not to just blindly trust and the first thing that came to my mind is President Reagan when he was dealing with the Soviets what was the 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 phrase that he used often when dealing with the Soviets 
trust but verify. Now, I didn't know this until I went to research this here uh, for this message. Did you know that that phrase, Reagan didn't come up with that. Did you know where that phrase came from? It's a Russian proverb. That's what I love about President Reagan. He would use their own words against them. He would take the mirror, flip it around, and they would actually be confronted with their own, their own truth, right? Like, and say, okay, we're going to trust but verify. And they can't say, well, we don't like that. It's your proverb. You know what I mean? Like, you guys are the one who came up with that. So Reagan, he did that trust but verify. Now, that's one side of the ditch is blindly trusting out of ignorance. Now, the other side of the ditch, though, can be a skeptic, a cynic, or a doubting Thomas. Okay, so, so we want to be careful to trust but verify, but also balance it with faith like a child. So there's two, there's two ditches on this road here. You can go too far one way or the other. You can just be blindly following, or you could never follow. And the Bible says this about having faith like children. Mark 10, 15 says, and this is Jesus, he says, I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. You could also paraphrase this and say, anyone who doesn't have faith like a child to receive what God is doing, you will never be able to get into heaven because you will, you will constantly be saying, well, I want to know that. I want to know every single detail. And sometimes there are questions that when you ask and you want to know the details too, for whatever reason, the Lord doesn't choose to reveal those to you. What do you do in that moment? Do you, do you can say, okay, I'm going to, I'm just going to believe Lord. I'm going to trust you. I've sought. You didn't give me necessarily the answer, but I know there is an answer. And when you give it to me, it's totally up to you. So you got to balance this. Now, I know why we're this way. We, we're all a little cynical. We're all a little skeptical. We all have that doubting Thomas mentality. But it's because we, we literally live in a time where there are scams all over the place. I mean, we see lies and scams every single day, whether, you, whether you're looking for them or not. How many of you have ever received like an email scam? Like, hey, I'm the prince of this country and... You know, if you send me this money, like I'm going to, you know, you'll help me out and I'll repay you. We've, I think we've already seen that. We got, which got me thinking, uh, I'm going to Google some of these scams and I want to see people who knew they were scams, how they would respond to these scams. So here's a couple of really funny ones that, I've, that I found that I think you'll get a kick out of. So this is, um, this is from a scammer. He says, did you receive my text from yesterday? If you have a house you'd like to sell as is, I'd be happy to get you an offer. And so the person responds with a house on fire. It says, perfect timing. What, what can you give me for this? And then the scammer doesn't respond. He says, so what can you offer? The matter is kind of time sensitive. <laughs> Hello, this home listing is literally on fire. I can't guarantee it'll still be available if you want it. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. I, I like that. I like that. Okay, um, this next one right here. Um, so there's a... There is a, um, oh, where, where am I at here? Okay, there we go. Okay, there, so there is a constellation, a star, con a solar constellation in, in the atmosphere, or in, up in the atmosphere, up in the, in the universe called uh, uh, Cassiopeia. And Cassiopeia is, you know, it's, it's beautiful. If you look through the telescope, you can see it. Uh, but so this person asks, uh, the scammer asks, I'm asking you, where are you from? And the person responds, Cassiopeia. Oh, that cool. What part? <laughs> Shadar. Shadar is a star in that constellation. Oh, that cool. You're just like 15 minutes away from me. Can I see what you look like? <laughs> and then the, the person says, are you an astronaut? Uh, 
Because I gave you a location that's basically 100, 100 light years away from Earth. If you can make that trip in 15 minutes, you got to share your secrets, my dude. So <laughs> that's funny. Here's one uh, for all the Lord of the Rings fans. Uh, Amazon has that new uh, show, um, The Rings of Power. And uh, the, the Sauron, uh, he's known, uh, he's, he's in that show, but he, he's not, you don't really know it's Sauron. But this guy says, hello, Veto, how are you doing? Wrong number. I'm sorry, I entered the wrong phone number. I hope I didn't bother you. No worries. Thank you for understanding, the scammer says. You are a very kind person. Meeting is fate. My name is Unity. Nice to meet you. What should I call you? And this Lord of the Rings fan says, in the east, I'm known as Sauron. But in the, but in the west, my buddies call me Anatar. And, and the scammer responds back, hi, Anatar. Have a great weekend. Now, some scammers just want to get to the point, too. They don't want to go through all that, you know, the niceties. So, so this one says, um, long time no see. How are you, Andy? Not bad. How have you been? Money. <laughs> He's efficient. What can I say? Get to the point. That's awesome. Uh, for those who like chocolate, uh, you might, the Cadbury Chocolate Company's uh, running this uh, cool promotional special. Uh, Cadbury Chocolate will be paying you $500 weekly for driving around with their sticker on your vehicle. The sticker is very easy to remove without damaging the paint. No mileage is required. You will earn $500 a week. Please reply with the following information to get started. Your full name, your address, including your street and apartment number, your city, state, and zip code, vehicle model, and phone number. Thanks. Okay? So the person responds back. I have uh, a competing offer from Hershey's. Is it okay if I have them on the left side of the vehicle and Cadbury on the right? I ask because Twix made me choose a side. So. These are some witty people. I love, I love this. It was, like, it was just like a treasure trove. I mean, we could go on for, for days. Uh, this one, uh, one kind of escalated kind of quickly. Hello, the scammer says. And then the person responds back. Please address me by my title. I'm a professor. And the scammer says, on what grounds? And the professor says, you mean like the floor? The ground is the earth, idiot. <laughs> and then the scammer got really, it escalated. I pray the COVID take you and your family. Jeez. That is not a nice scammer. Not a nice scammer at all. Here's the lazy scammer. This guy's lazy, but you know what? He's trying. This is a scam. Send money. All right, well, hey, there you go. Uh, okay, here's one. Um, what are the odds that you're the first spam bot I've found? Hello, hello, what's up? Nothing much, where are you from? USA, the scam bot says, and you? Also US, what state though? Columbus, <laughs> and you? Columbus is in a state. Now this could be a scam bot or it could be an Ohio State fan, so. <laughs> I am sorry, where's? Where's Scott? Scott, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. sorry. <laughs> Whoa! Oh, oh. That's too far out of all the things I've ever said. That dawn is, is too far. Okay, you can send me an email. Send an email to maria at lifechurchin.com. She takes all of your complaints and puts them in the file. So, all right. Uh, now, scammers can also live in your house. Too, okay, just so you know. But thankfully, we have beautiful wives or moms that, that can catch these things pretty easily. So here's one. Um, the dog has eaten. If she looks hungry, it's a scam. Don't fall for her lying ways. <laughs> Good. And last but certainly not least, Instagram now. you got to be careful on the social medias. Instagram scams are pop popping up. Here's one right here coming from uh, the king of pop himself. 
hey, it's Michael Jackson. I'm messaging you from a private account. I'm not really dead. Can you cash at me $600 so I can come back to the United States and put, more, put out more music? Hee-hee. <laughs> I love that they added the hee-hee there at the end, you know? Hee-hee. <laughs> yeah, uh, but this is why. This is why Pew Research says that Americans, 71% of Americans, have le- are less trusting today, today than they were 20 years ago. We deal with a lot of scams. So what the shepherds are doing in that moment, they're literally saying, okay, like this is great, it seems legit, but we're not just going to blindly trust. It's what the Berean church did in the New Testament. The church in Berea, they would constantly, they would weigh the scriptures with what Paul was saying, with what Peter and the apostles were saying. We do something called the Berean way here at Life Church. We got our last uh, class, you can come, it's every Sunday afternoon at four o'clock and it's it's Pastor Ray, it's Pastor Dan, it's Pastor Nathan, uh, it's Dave Barker, and they're, they're answering all of the tough questions that you might have. And people just say, hey, I have a question about this. And it's, the Berean, it's, it's what the Bereans did. So the shepherds are actually kind of, they're, they're, they're setting the stage for how the Berean church is going to act. They're, they're looking for the truth, not just taking it all, even though they were angels, even though that Paul said it or Peter said it, every, you, you, you're supposed to go back to the word. If I ever say something, and, and you come to me and you say, hey, that's not what the Word says. I will change. I will get in line with what Scripture says. And you should be weighing everything I'm saying. Don't blindly trust me just because I'm up here and you're down there. No. Like, we're, then we're doing this together. I'm only up here just because that's where God has called me to be. You're down there, but that doesn't mean you're any less of a preacher or a student of the Scriptures than I. So, so, so hold us accountable. We should all be doing that to one another. That's the beauty of what the what the shepherds were doing. So they, they, they weren't going to, to do anything in ignorance, but they didn't dismiss it out of apathy either. So they weren't going to be a doubting Thomas and just stay put, but they weren't going to just blindly believe. So that's, that's the first lesson we can learn with the shepherds. And so now what they do, they follow the clues. Like I said earlier, you're going to find the baby wrapped in a priestly garment in the manger. Now go look, go find. I mean, I think God knew the address of the, of the manger. He probably could have told them the address, but he, he gave them a clue. Sometimes the Lord wants us to seek it out. Seek out and you will find. It's not, you know, you could, and I don't know why God doesn't just make it super, super easy sometimes. I think he's probably got his reasons, okay? I'm like, Lord, a little help here, right? Go look for a baby in that town. Oh, great, thanks, thanks. I'm sure there's there's only one, right? No, but, but you have to go and find, and he gives you the clues, and he leads you, he leads you. Trust the Lord that he'll direct your steps. Trust him that he is guiding your path. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger, wrapped in those priestly garments, those swaddling clothes. They hurried. They went. So the second thing we can learn from the the shepherds, they first investigated. Second then, they found the baby and they worshipped at the feet of the newborn Savior. They worshiped at the feet. Now, worship is this act of, of kissing some, somebody on the cheek. It's this idea of like just embracing something. The Webster's, the 1828 Webster's Dictionary says it this way. Worship is the act of paying divine honors to a supreme being. When you come into this place on Sunday morning, when you get up and you make the trip to church, you're paying honor to the divine being, this awesome God. Just coming to church is a way to say, Lord, I want to honor you today. Maybe you may not know anything about church, but the fact that you're here is you're just saying, I, I think I should honor 
this Savior. I don't know a whole lot about him, but I'm willing to take a step into this, this, this sea of honoring him. When you worship and then when you sing songs and you praise him, you sing, you sing uh, hallelujah, praise be to God, you're giving God honor. When you raise your hands, you're giving God honor. When you dance before the Lord, you're giving God honor. Worship is all of those things. When you talk to your friends about what God has done in your heart, that's an act of worship. You're honoring God. In the same way, wouldn't you be proud if your child was telling somebody how cool you were as a parent, how awesome of a parent you were? Your child would be giving you honor. Worship is an act of honor. Now, we all worship. Just so you know, if you think, well, I'm either going to worship God or I'm just not going to worship anything at all. Now, that's not how it works. Everybody's created to worship something. You have to worship. You're, it's like a fish cannot live out of the water. In the same way, you cannot live without worshiping something or someone. You're designed to worship. You will worship. And it's two options. It's either going to be God or it's going to be an idol. That's it. The idol can be, listen, idol worship is very much alive in our culture. Just don't, don't think that just because we're not some tribe in Africa dancing around a totem pole somewhere that we don't have idols. We have a lot of idols. Idols can be anything that you elevate to God's status in your life. And I, there was a, a, a video that came out a few years ago in youth ministry. Oh boy, it was super convicting. It is all about idol worship and it really hits the spot. Check it out because I think it'll do in your heart the same that it's done in my heart. Uh, here, check this video out. I was watching TV the other day, and this show comes on with these religious fanatics. They were crazy. Well, you would think they were crazy if you didn't understand their culture and their religion. See, that's just the thing. They were worshipers of idols, and they took things to extremes. They painted their bodies. They wore these ridiculous costumes. They chanted, they danced, they... They made sacrifices to their idols. They had built these enormous temples to worship their idols in. It seemed like their entire existence climaxed into this one scenario, this one over-the-top act of worship. You don't really relate, do you? Let's try it again. I was watching TV the other day, and this show comes on with these religious fanatics. They were crazy. See, that's just the thing. They were worshipers of idols. And they took things to extremes. They painted their bodies. They wore these ridiculous costumes. They chanted. They danced. They, they made sacrifices to their idols. They had built these enormous temples to worship their idols in. It seemed like their entire existence climaxed into this one scenario, this one over-the-top act of worship. Idol worship. It's not just about golden calves anymore. Mm, it's good, isn't it? And, and please hear me. It's not to say that anything football related is bad, especially after Michigan wins the Big Ten championship. So, <laughs> I, I know. I'm sorry, Don. I'm sorry. Okay. She's, she's going to call her husband. We need to find a new church. We need to find a new church. <laughs> no, but, but. It's any good thing that you elevate or anything that you elevate above God. Everybody worships something. People in ministry have made ministry idols at times. Like that's, I mean, that's, I've got to guard my heart in that. You could put ministry of the gospel above God himself if you're not careful. You can put your children or your wife 
or your car or your job or your money or whatever it is, your, your, whatever you like to do, you could elevate that. It's not just about golden calves anymore. We have to guard our hearts constantly and say, Lord, I want you to be the center. Now you can say, Lord, I don't always get it right, and I don't know how to always get it right. Help me to put you at the center. That's why our whole Christmas Eve service, the theme is Jesus at the center. Jesus on the throne of your life. Jesus as the one that you worship. If you don't worship Jesus, you're going to worship something else. It's the only two paths that you have. Now the shepherds were living in a time when they understood worship. They lived, they lived under people who demanded them to worship. They lived under kings and tyrants. They lived under people who said, you have to worship me. But what I love about the story of the shepherds getting the good news about the king of kings being born, God didn't force the shepherds to go worship. He gave them a choice. God is the God of liberty. It's not man's idea, it's God's idea. It always has been and it always will be. He's not a tyrant. He doesn't force himself on you. He doesn't force you to worship him. He says, here am I. I am good. Come to me. He calls you. He has you come. And you know what? He does that because he wants it to be your choice. Because that's where true love is. You can't worship and love God truly if you're forced to do it. But kings and tyrants in that culture would demand people love them. They would demand people worship them. They would demand people bow at their feet. The shepherds knew worship. But I don't know if the shepherds had ever really been given a chance or a choice to worship or not worship, when you're talking about the king of kings, this had to be a little bit of a novel concept for them. Like, we, haven't, we, haven't, we have a choice to worship? So what do you do with that? Do you worship or do you not worship? The shepherds show us that when confronted with the truth of Jesus' lordship, they had to respond. They had to respond. You got the message, and now what are you going to do with it? And that's what I'm asking everybody here right now. C.S. Lewis said it this way. It's called a trilemma. This was C.S. Lewis' trilemma. And he says in his trilemma, he says, you, when you hear the good news, you have three options. You either have to believe that Jesus Christ is a liar, or he's a lunatic, or he truly is the Lord and the Son of God, as he claimed. Now, you may say, well, are there more options? No, there are not more options, because Jesus is a man. Everyone knows the whole fulcrum point of history before Christ and after Christ, our whole historical context is built around this one man. He existed. He was a man. There's no, there's no discounting that. If you try to discount that, even, even uh, atheist historians can't discount that. Jesus walked the earth. Who was this man? He claimed to be God, but if he wasn't God, that means he's either lying to you or he's crazy. He's lying to you. We, our calendars, before Christ, B.C., A.D., which means in the year of our Lord, Anna Domini. That's a Latin phrase. It just means in the year of our Lord. It's all centered around the birth of Jesus. We go all the way up to Jesus, and then we start counting after Jesus. Now, you're seeing in schools, it's not surprising, you're seeing all across our country that they're trying to do something B.C.E., before the common era. Oh, please, whatever, right? Or what's the other one? Uh, after the common era, A.C.E. or something like that, or... Yeah, they're trying to remove Christ from all of this. That's the devil's tactic. But you have to respond. So that's how some people are responding. They're saying, I'm going to remove him because I think he's either lying or he's a lunatic. To you, you've got three options, liar, lunatic, or Lord. We all have three options. This is what C.S. Lewis said. He said, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. 
That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. And here's why. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something even worse. You can shut him up as a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Whoa! C.S. Lewis in his book called Mere Christianity, one of the best books ever written when it, talks, it's a, when it talks about what this Christian lifestyle is. I, I, would, I would highly encourage everyone to read that book. C.S. Lewis, he was an atheist. He had to wrestle with this. He heard the good news, and he realized he had three choices. He's either a liar, lunatic, and lord. And as he studied and found out more about who this Jesus was, he fell at his feet and said, he is lord of all. He is lord of all. Lee Strobel's book does the same thing, A Case for Christ. Many of you have maybe read that. You had an investigative reporter that wanted to find out, is this Jesus guy a liar, a lunatic, or is he Lord? And as he investigated the truth, he saw it. He, he went and he found the manger in today's culture. He saw baby Jesus. He saw the risen Lord. And he said, I am going to believe that this truly is the Son of God. That's what we are called to do. We are called to respond in one of three ways. You have to do it when you hear the good news. The shepherds responded. They investigated. Then they worshiped. And now the third thing, what they did was they gospeled in their town. Now, I know that's not a word. You guys are going to be like, Micah, that's not a word. I know it's not a word. I'm making it up right here because I can do that, all right? Okay. <laughs> they gospeled. We're going to turn it into a verb. They went and proclaimed the good news. They proclaimed the gospel in their town. Verse 17 of Luke 2 says this, After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. They told everyone. Everyone, everywhere they went. These, these proverbial truck drivers of the day were, were going back to their jobs and saying, Hey, did you, you know, they were stopping at the, the Iowa 80 truck stop or the Bucky's truck stop and saying, Hey, I mean, come on, Bucky's. Bucky's is pretty good, right? Yeah. We went down to Kentucky uh, for Thanksgiving, and before we even started going, um, hey, this is not a moment for that. Like, uh, let me tell, let me, <laughs> let me tell the story, Jonah, because this is not an emotional tug at the heartstrings stories, and then, then I'll let you. <laughs> so we were, going, we were going to Thanksgiving, and we get in the car to head five hours to Kentucky, and you know what, my kids are six and four, they don't really like know geography super well, but you know what they knew? Hey, we're going to go past the Bucky's. Can we stop at Bucky's? That's what we want to do for Thanksgiving. They, they would have been like the shepherds the, being the truck drivers of the day, going to their Bucky's and saying, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. Okay, now you can start playing because I'm going to start moving. <laughs> oh, man, this is great. I love it. I love it. They told everyone what happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. And all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. All who heard. People heard the good news because someone took it to them. How beautiful are the feet of those who proclaim the good news. And you know what? That good news, now that you know it, you have to respond. What are you going to do with that? This Christmas season, you got a great chance to respond. You got a great chance to respond in an awesome way. 
The reality is you're here today because somebody shared the good news with you. The reality is that's why you're here. You're here today because somebody, somebody shared that to you. You can trace your spiritual heritage all the way back to this point in time where the good news started going out. Are you going to keep your light hidden? Are you going to hide it under a lampstand? We see this in Scripture in Matthew 5. It says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hid. No one after lighting a lamp puts it under a bushel basket, but one, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. You're here today because somebody was willing to put their light on a lampstand and show it to you. What are you going to do now that you know the good news? There are people who are desperately hurting in this world. Christmas is just around the corner. People are lonely. They feel purposeless. They feel despair and anxiety setting in right now. They're hurting. You have the answer. You have the, the, you have the, the one that will set them free from all of that. His name is Jesus. And he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. When people get that, it sets them free. And I said it earlier, God is the God of liberty. He wants to set everybody free. But how are people going to know unless you carry the good news on your beautiful feet? This Christmas, I hope we follow the example of the shepherds. We investigate the way. We worship the truth. His name is Jesus. And we are a witness of the life in your town. Noblesville, Fishers, Eagle Creek, Pendleton, all of greater Indianapolis, all of Indiana, and all of our world. Whether it's here, near, or far, we are, we are promoting and proclaiming and shouting from the rooftops as loud as we can about this good news. And you know what's going to happen? There's going to be people who are lonely this season. They are, they are trapped in their loneliness for whatever reason. And they will see the lights that you are shining like a city on a hill and you will set them free with the good news and the Holy Spirit will come in and lead them to this beautiful, abundant life in Jesus Christ. And they'll look back, you'll see them 10,000 years from now and they'll say, it was your beautiful feet on that Christmas in 2023 that brought me the good news, that set me free. And I'm here today because of you. I'm here because you did what the Lord was calling you to do. And Jesus Christ set me free, but you're the one who, who brought it to me. I'm, I'm not saying God couldn't do it other ways, but he's choosing to use you just like he chose to use the shepherds. Don't squander that responsibility away. God chooses to partner with you. That's, a, that's an amazing concept. The king of the universe, the Lord of all, says, you know what? I could do it myself, but I want my children to find purpose, and they're going to find great purpose when they go out and share the gospel. Jesus said, you will do even greater things than I've done. That's a big claim. And Lord, I don't think I can live up to that. He's like, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. You'll live up to it. What are you going to do? Psalm 68 says this, God places the lonely in families, and he sets the prisoners free and gives them joy. That's the good news right there. Come be a part of the family of God with us. Come be set free. You're a prisoner right now. Let the spirit of the living God produce liberty. Where the spirit of the Lord is, that's where liberty is. Amen? But you got to know, you got to know hope, a gift of hope. 
And hope has a name, and his name is Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. That baby born in that manger wrapped in swaddling priestly garments, the pure spotless lamb sacrificed, sacrificed for you and for me so that we could now be set free. That's the hope of the world. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.